DR as a service is here and it's actually, we hit an inflection point where it should be considered over backup as a service. And what do I mean by that is that now we've got some really great ways to replicate tier one critical workloads from any on-premises location to a cloud and be able to have the peace of mind to know that that data, that workload can be spun up almost instantaneously if disaster happens. Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. Cyber attack. It is top of mind for most of our listeners. It's top of mind for CIOs, CEOs, and boards. In the first half of 22 alone, there were 236 million ransomware attacks worldwide. 236 million. We've been hearing for the last couple of years how easy it is for nefarious actors to launch attacks through, of all things, ransomware as a service. To help you protect your organization, InterVision developed RPAS, or Ransomware Protection as a Service. This service combines several award-winning services in the background into a comprehensive protection program that aligns to the NIST framework of identify, protect, detect, respond, and recover. I know I'm sounding like a commercial for RPAS from InterVision, and that's not my intent. You know, here on Status Go, we don't really put our sales hats on. We're just trying to educate you on this program and we're going to unpack what this comprehensive program looks like over several episodes. Today on Status Go, I am joined by Anthony Spiteri. Anthony is a senior global technologist of product strategy for Veeam, one of InterVision's strategic partners. He is also the host of a podcast, Great Things with Great Tech, or GTWGT for short. Veeam is recognized as a world leader in data protection and has been a partner of InterVisions for several years. Welcome to Status Go, Anthony. Hey there, how you doing? Uh, th- this, is sh- this should be you uh, getting tongue-tied because uh, as we're recording this, it's nine o'clock at night in Australia, where you're from, and it's uh, nine o'clock in the morning. Uh, in Indiana, where I'm from. So I obviously need more coffee, man, I tell you. Yeah, well, look, I, I got to say, I just had a coffee. So maybe I'm cheating it at uh, nine o'clock at <laughs> night. But that's, this is usual for me at this time. So not a problem there. Well, let's start in with your background. And if you don't mind just sharing a bit about your journey um, and how you came to be where you are today with Veeam. Yeah, so I guess um, I've been with Veeam six years now, or nearly six years, which is crazy in itself. Um, my background is actually in service providers. So uh, I can be one of those people now in IT that says I've been in the industry for 20 years. <laughs> um, I, feel, I feel old, you know, when I say that, but that's yep. the way. Um, yeah, yep. but I started out my career working for a um, ISP, ASP application service provider uh, and got into hosting 
back then, my, my boss threw me a couple of projects and really got into the LAMP and Windows stack that we had for um, hosting, so websites, um, but also things like Exchange and, and SharePoint and CRM before they really became a thing. Um, and then I kind of moved through a few different companies and really found my way and my love into virtualization and hosting infrastructure as a service. Um, my previous role was at a leading uh, VMware cloud service provider in Australia called Zetagrid. Worked with Veeam as well, um, probably along the way and got to love what they were doing around backup and wouldn't have never thought that I would actually uh, be working for a backup company. I didn't think that was cool enough. I still don't think it's cool. Um, <laughs> But here I am. So yeah, so now working the um, product strategy team in Veeam, uh, my focus is on service provider and cloud technologies, but effectively, you know, I do other cool stuff like work on our um, object storage technology. I'm, I'm the subject matter a- a- expert for that. And also our CDP technology within Veeam backup and replication. So you're right in the wheelhouse of what we're talking about with yeah. regards to ransomware. And, and you're, you go on the road a lot. You're, you're traveling. I, I know there was uh, a couple of times when we were doing prep calls that you were in the United States, and then I think you were in Europe. So you're a world traveler, uh, kind of evangelizing what's going on within the Veeam ecosystem, right? Yeah, I am again. Um, I wasn't, we were obviously, I wasn't for a couple of years there, but no one was. Um, so look, yeah. it's, it's come back quick. It looks like it almost feels like we haven't um, missed a beat, but obviously we have missed two and a half years of that. So yeah, yeah, I mean, what I love doing is getting out there and getting in front of people, in front of customers, in front of audiences and, and talking about you know, what Veeam's doing with the platform. And also just networking, but also, um, I guess, being part of the community. Uh, that's a big, big yeah, part of, yeah. you know, what I love and it's communities helped me along the way. And I, I love interacting and re, reinvigorating those communication fronts with the technology. Well, and it helps you hear the voice of the, the, the user community. And so let's start there. Uh, I, I opened the show with talking about the 236 million ransomware attacks uh, in the first half of 2022 alone, uh, what do you see going on in the ransomware landscape? What's your perspective of what's happening? Um, you know what? I think we've been saying this for the last couple of years, really, more than, than ever. They're getting more sophisticated. Um, actually, I just saw one today that came through uh, that was actually, it's a targeted attack through Steam. Steam is that, that gaming platform that distributes game um, games and whatnot. It's been around for 20 years as well. Um, so now what people are doing within the chat function and the boards within that Steam engine is that they're effectively um, laying down fake links that, that look like they're browser and browsers. So you still you look like you're in a browser, but you're actually in an iframe. And then that iframe oh. is obviously, you know, doing some really bad stuff and, and effectively doing a lot of malware and, you know, getting all sorts of information off your PC or whatever it might be. So um, that was a really interesting one. Just shows you that it's ever evolving. In fact, I just had a conversation with our security uh, lead and the team in our Teams chat, and I kind of said, "You know, are we ever? Are the good guys ever going to get ahead?" And um, uh, you know, and he he said yeah. no. And that's the reality of where we're at. We're 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 playing uh, catch up all the time. The good guys, and that's where you know, a company like Veeam is used as a tool. We we talk about the Veeam platform as a tool set. Um, mm-hmm. To be able to offer customers and you know and businesses and organisations the ability to protect their data, but not only back it up, but also recover successfully from an mm-hmm. attack. That's it's an end to end thing. It's it's not just about you know the education at the front. It's not just about the recovery. You got to have the right tool set. 
and Veeam as a company uh, definitely offers our partners the ability to, to do that and leverage it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was uh, I was amazed. Uh, I, this was, gosh, this was pre-pandemic. I was going to say a couple of years ago, but now thinking about it, it was, you know, three or four years ago um, when uh, we had uh, an ethical hacker presenting to a group of CIOs. And one of the things that he did that was really interesting was uh, he he raised a question with the group and I'll, I'll, I will totally not be able to recall the exact question, but it was basically what tra- type of traffic goes across this type of, of uh, connection. And of course, the room answered with what is typically sent across that connection. And he says, well, that's not the way a hacker thinks. A hacker thinks, well, why can't I send other traffic across that link? Um, and so trying to get inside the mind of a hacker um, and it's like you were talking about on that gaming platform, those uh, putting those links in there. You get people when they're when they're not thinking about cybersecurity, they're thinking about playing a game or yeah. they're thinking about uh, reading an email or whatever it is, and that's when those attacks happen. Uh, and it just it's proliferating. Absolutely. And look, I'll be, I'll be honest. Like I I feel like I, I think even I've done it. I've clicked on a couple of links that I go maybe I shouldn't have clicked on that. And just by the grace of God, I haven't been hit. Well, not that I think. I mean, someone could be could be listening to this conversation right now. Um, yeah. But no. But I, I think that the level of sophistication, the ability for them to hide themselves, to make them look like they're legitimate um, sources, it's it's incredible. I, I listened to a podcast called The Darknet Diaries. I don't know if you if you've come across that. Um, I've not heard of that. One. It's Dark it's a, the Darknet Diaries. It's it's brilliant, and it's it's done by a security guy, a net, an old school network guy. Um, but the way that he articulates, um, just he gets guests on and he talks about certain types of attacks. He breaks it down, and it's really scary in terms of how yeah. simple um, and how open we are to these attacks. Because the, you know, they only have to get it right once, and we yeah. have to be right all the time, right? So it's yeah. kind yeah. of like, yeah. yeah, or the flip side, we've got to be we've got to be wrong once. And they've got to get it right yeah. once. So yeah, it, it's really cool um, how it works. I'm I'm infatuated by the the whole ecosystem of ransomware and cyber mm-hmm. attacks. I I think it's intriguing. Um, that said, I would never pretend to be a, I, and I don't actually want to be a security expert because it kind of scares me. <laughs> so I'm I'm quite glad to be on this side of the fence and just talking That's about right. it from a, from a Veeam platform perspective as opposed yes. to being on the front lines. Uh, absolutely, you, you and me both. You and me both. Well, let's do. Let's dive in a little bit to the to the Veeam platform. And I, I mentioned the NIST framework at the at the beginning of identify, protect, detect, respond, and recover. Where does Veeam fit into that? Yeah, I mean, we've been building and aligning our capabilities um, with the NIST framework for a while now. Um, so the capabilities that we have holistically on the platform can fit with those, you know, detect, um, protect strategies that they've got in there, recover, identify, respond. Um, and the way that we like to do it is we like to align it between, um, if you look at the the left-hand side of the equation being RTO, restore time objective, uh, versus the right-hand side, which is the RPO, the restore point objectives, you know, you look at that side, you've got protect and detect. And that really means traditional backups, leveraging things like offsite backups, CDP, replication, storage snapshotting, local backups. That's all part of the RPO strategy and the protect and detect. Um, mm-hmm. Then if you look at the other side, which is more identify, respond, recover, 
report. That's when we look at our other abilities, our reporting um, in Veeam 1, our secure restore, instant recovery, our archival retrieval, um, our data labs, and also things like our data integration API. All these sort of technologies and features, we're kind of, we're mapping them to that actual NIST framework. So it's quite interesting how we're doing that. Well, and that was something that I learned when we had this conversation to prepare for this call was that Veeam really was also on that identify, detect side of the equation. Um, so how does Veeam 1 help with the uh, identify or the detect rather probably? Yeah, and I don't, and look, I think um, I'm very forward in saying that, you know, Veeam's never going to pretend to be a security company. I think that's a very, very mm -hmm. big, big component of that. We allow um, other companies to take advantage of our technology and, and innovate around that. Um, Intervision do a great job of that um, in terms of, you know, what they offer on top of the Veeam platform. But Veeam is agnostic at heart as well. So we've got these features and, you know, and, and bits of the product that do align like I talked about. But then a customer or a partner might actually look at a third-party provider and actually plug into that. So we might use um, uh. our, for example, we've got the data integration API, which allows you to mount data directly from the repository to a disk um, onto another system. You can then mount that disk to, um, to some other third-party tool to run compliance checks on it, to do ransomware protection checks, um, deep dive for malware scans, all sorts of stuff, mm. right? So I think yeah. that's how Veeam, you know, wants to position ourselves to kind of mm. be the data source, to be the, the component that backs up the data, can recover the data, but also unlock that data for, you know, ransomware protection and whatnot. Yeah. Well, earlier when you were introducing yourself, you mentioned you've been in technology for 20 years. Uh, I double that. Uh, so uh, we, and since I can remember, we've been talking about backups and this concept of, of three, two, one, three yeah. copies, two different media, one offsite. Veeam extends that into something that, that, that I heard someone say, three, two, one, one zero. What is that and how does that help me protect my data? Yes, I've got to remember this and make sure that I'm getting this right as well. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> no, no, no. Look, I, th I think the extension of that just means um, immutability. So obviously mm -hmm. adding an immutability factor to it, which has become so important because yeah. we've understood over the years what's, what has happened in ransomware in the last five years, two, three years. Um, has that they started to target different areas of data. So they understood that, yeah, okay, you can take a backup of the data and you can put it somewhere and that's the, the, that's the, that's the, that's the um, element that becomes the restoration point, right? Mm -hmm. But what if we as the bad guys, as the malicious users, were able to actually impact and manipulate and change that data as well and make it useless? What if we yeah. can encrypt that? So that's an L area where backup vendors have had to start to get smart on to basically extend technologies like what we have in um, object storage. So S3 object storage has a has versioning an object lock, which allows you to effectively, through an API call, um, have that block of data um, actually locked away for a certain period of time. Um, so even that a root resource, when we're talking administrative root resource, cannot delete that. So we've been implementing that across our whole technology stack, um, you know, firstly within our object storage support, 
And then, you know, secondly, we've released a hardened Linux repository, which leverages elements of the ZFS file system on Linux to be able to do elements of immutability as well. And we're extending that across all of our portfolio as well, whether it's in the public cloud, um, it's not quite in the backup for Microsoft 365, but it will get there um, mm-hmm. and other bits. And, and that zero, uh, can't forget that, that's a validation point as well. So how do you validate and verify oh. that your data is actually going to work for you? Because... You know, you can always back it up, but uh, and I've, I've, I tell a, a story about um, when I was in my second to last job, we were um, protecting, we had an infrastructure environment and we were um, hosting some really important websites locally in, in Australia and in Western Australia where I am. Um, and one of these government organizations uh, got hacked and they needed to basically go through the logs of their website to find out at what point it got hacked. And what happened was we had to recover the data from maybe three or four months ago because it was that old. We had this, um, this was before Veeam, by the way, I'm not going to, I must mention that as well. Um, <laughs> so what we went to do there is we actually, we, we th- the validation of the, of the backup was a t- tick box that said, yeah, it's been checked and we going to, and it, the backup software was saying that it was backed up. When we came to recover that data, we were able to recover one component of it, but not the second component. So effectively for three months, we really didn't have any, any legitimate backups of this oh, wow. particular bit of data. Um, and funnily enough, that's what led us to TriVeeam. And I guess in a, in a strange way, that's what, what's led me to where I am now. Um, yeah. But it's just a really good example of the fact that you have to be able to validate your data. Veeam has always had that. Uh, we've got data, the, the, uh, the data labs, Shore Backup. Um, we can validate and check to make sure that, you know, what you've backed up is actually going to be recoverable as well. Mm-hmm. Well, and that, that is such an important step is to that, that validation point. Uh, that's, that's why I know InterVision preaches so much about testing your recovery. Uh, so, you know, you, you are, you can validate it through software and through techniques that yes, the backup was successful and it's validated, but the, the true test comes in when you test your recovery and really bring it back up. And uh, I think that's also where Veeam plays very well in bringing those systems or those the, the data that's been protected back online. Um, can, you, can you talk a little bit about how the, the storage protection within Veeam uh, works? In other words, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is what types of storage does Veeam protect that that if we've got listeners out there that aren't familiar, well, what different types of things can Veeam back up? Um, well, effectively, if you look at the platform, um, we're, we're backing up a lot more than what we did when I first started six years ago. When I started, we effectively backed up um, VMware and Hyper-V um, mm-hmm. and that was pretty much it. Um, and then we extended ourselves to physical agents um, and then we extended out to, um, you know, uh, Microsoft 365. We do public clouds now. We do Oracle. Um, we do different types of Linux. We do Mac OS. So really, and then obviously the databases as well because um, in today's world, a lot of, um, if, you, if you were to ask a developer, you know, what their storage systems are, they're going to say a database. They don't think of storage as a, as a SAN or something like that. So we, we protect yeah. databases as well, obviously. So yeah, we, we can protect more and more. And as we continue to evolve the platform, we'll just continue to expand. We, we ex- extend out to Nutanix AHV. We do Red Hat virtualization and KVM-based workloads, um, that specifically RHV. That was our most recent hypervisor. So we're about to launch 
uh, Salesforce as another SaaS-based product. So oh. there is a lot that we do now. Yeah. Um, it's not just yeah. the old VMware that we are, that we used to do. Well, one of the ones that jumped out at me as you were talking about that, Anthony, was was public clouds. Because I, I, I know for, for a long time, uh, there was this feeling that, well, if my data is in the cloud, the cloud's backing it up. Uh, and that's not necessarily the case. So why why would why would uh, one of our listeners use Veeam to back up their public cloud data versus the tools that are inherent in the cloud itself? Yeah, I think this is the first point. Yeah, that there was a misconception there that if, and I think this is obviously I heard it as well, and I've been hearing it all my yeah. career because I've been working around. You know, I used to host a lot of this stuff, and then we we saw a lot yeah. of people move to the public cloud. So I I got that. You know, and it was always a little bit of a fallacy. However, you know, those public clouds do have their own built-in um, mechanisms. And it's funny because I, I kind of leverage, I, I use an analogy. I, I mean, if you remember Windows, Windows used to have Windows backup, right? Yeah, yeah. But would you, did people really trust it for their for the protection of their data? You know, mm-hmm. like I know that you could use it to a certain extent, but you wouldn't bet your, your company, you wouldn't bet your organization, your your brand, um, your yeah. livelihood on it, right? So uh, to a certain extent, that's how I kind of feel, you know, we, we should be having this conversation around what the built-in pro- um, backup products for the public cloud today are. They're good, but... You know, you got you kind of got to you kind of got to leave that to the professionals. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You, you could use a ton of analogies about you know, I can't even think of them. Like someone you know, driving a having a, a Porsche mechanic fixing uh, a Hyundai or something, or the other way around. It just doesn't make sense for a professional to not do the professional's job. And mm-hmm. we actually leverage what the public clouds offers us as well. So we will talk to the same APIs that um, AWS or Azure might use. But what we do is we make them better. We take and we, we build better technology on top of that to do more with it. We unlock, port, un, we unlock portability. We can mm-hmm. uh, unlock cost savings as well because we store data in, a, in smarter ways. Little things like that. But if I was mm-hmm. to say to the average person why, I would actually you know always bring back the Windows analogy and the professionalism yeah. of that. Yeah, it's uh, who do you trust to to uh, protect your reputation? Because that's really what uh, what it comes down to in in a lot of cases. So when you think uh, backup versus continuous data protection, and and Veeam specifically, where where does Veeam play in that? Um, you know, you've got uh, you've got Zerto and other tools that are on the CDP uh, side, and then Veeam. So, how do you decide what you're backing up with what? Yeah, so this is interesting. We've had uh, CDP. We've actually we've we've been talking about it for a long time. We finally released it in V11. <laughs> you know, almost a couple of years ago now, and we're enhancing it in V12, bringing it to our cloud and service providers. So, you know, hopefully, Indivision takes advantage of that um, and allows um, effectively on-premises workloads to be replicated at CDP um, RPOs up to their cloud. Now, the way that I've always talked about this is that Veeam offers a multiple way, multiple policy, a multiple policy approach to be able to, to back up your critical workloads. You really have to start to categorize your workloads. Um, tier one, tier two, tier three, tier four, gold, silver, bronze, no matter what, what way you do it. 
Um, and then your most critical workloads, which you absolutely know you can't do without, which you know that if you even lose a minute of data that you're going to be in trouble, those are the ones that really you should look at for CDP. Um, uh-huh. You know, and then you can, you know, tag those. If you're using v- VMware vSphere as an example, you can tag those. You can set policies against Veeam's policies, which means that when those machines are created, they're tagged, they're automatically protected. Um, and then that next level down, you've got snapshot-based replication, which, you know, still still works pretty well. Um, but there's certain problems with, with certain size of machines and that sort of stuff and mm-hmm. snapshotting and whatnot. And then you've got more traditional backup, which is your point-in-time backups. Now, point-in-time backups can be used, you know, up to 15-minute RPOs as well, um, you know, because you're taking a snapshot. But then it really just depends on how much data and change rate is happening within that 15-minute period. Uh, and then you've got the archive as well. So that's that, you know, let's go and, and push it out and actually almost put it away forever and never ac- access it. So really, we've got four levels of, you know, backup and replication that we can work with within the Veeam platform now, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah. Do you, do you see customers uh, uh, in thinking about a specific uh, data set or application uh, protecting it with multiple types of technologies? They may be doing CDP to get that real low uh, RPO, but they're also protecting it with, with a more traditional point-in-time backup. Do you see that happen a lot? Yeah, there are challenges with that. There are technical challenges with mixing and matching it, unfortunately. Um, there can be impacts on, like, as an example, if um, if you were to try and take a snapshot-based backup with CDP running, you might come into a, a situation where the CDP element gets interrupted because there is a stun of that VM, you know, while the snapshot's yeah. coming. So there are complications, however... Um, there are other ways to do that, right? So you could do a you could use an agent in guest as an example to protect the data within a CDP um, enabled system, right? So yeah, there are ways to do that. But even our CDP mechanism actually has two two levels of protection. Effectively, um, it's got the journal, uh, which is basically you, you set a time period of say it's four hours. You want an RPO of fifteen seconds. So for every for a period of four hours, every fifteen seconds you're snapshotting that data. So that's, that's your RPO, that's your window. That's, that's how far you can yeah. go back, 15 seconds, the granularity. But then you've also got an option to say every eight hours, take a point in time. So within the CDP mechanism and the policy, you have got the ability to do those two types of backups as well. Um, so yeah. So you can get that extra layer of protection. Well, let's talk about the other side of this, which is the, the recovery and the recovery time. When when you're talking with with customers, how do you set the the RTO expectations? Uh, because I've seen I've seen a lot of marketing uh, out there that says, "Oh, this is push button DR. You just click a button, and you know you got five minute RTO." I mean, how how real is that? And how do you help your customers manage uh, expectations? Yeah, I, I think if you Look at it from a couple of different angles. Firstly, um, just to a traditional customer, um, there's, we've got instant VM recovery, right? So that instant VM recovery allows you to effectively mount and then stream a, a machine off the backup repository. Um, that's, a, that's technology that we actually invented and patented um, first and foremost and have obviously been, been replicated in other competing vendors. We're okay with that. In, in, you know, flattery is awesome in that sense. Uh, imitation. Yeah, yeah. Imitation, yeah, yeah. flattery. 
Um, yep. However, you know, that technology is just there to really lower the RTO. You can have a machine up and booting uh, within seconds effectively with that technology. So pick a point in time, that's traditional replication, that's from a backup as well. It's, it's really cool. Um, now, what we've also been able to do more recently is we've been able to extend that to, say, um, object storage. So you can back up your your machines or your workloads to an object storage repository. So it can be sitting out in the cloud or on-premises object storage, but you can still instant recover off that. So we've actually, and I've, I've done a ton of demos on stage and in front of customers where I've um, you know, had a machine on-premises, I've broken it in some way, and then I've basically um, done an instant VM recovery back to a vCenter and streaming that down off an AWS S3 or a Wasabi or whatever it might be. Um, mm -hmm. And when people see that, that's pretty cool because in a sense, yeah. your RTO is down to literally seconds at that point. Now, you know, obviously performance is going to be a little bit, you know, different because not everyone's going to have SSDs and NVMe drives on their, you know, repositories, even though some people are doing that these days because right. they can right. with our Scala backup repository technology and the way you're able to architect it these days. Um, but the key point there is for any organization, you'll have your workload, your application up and running. It will run slightly degraded, but at least you've got it up and running. And then from there, you can then move it to the, to the you know, the final resting place where you, know, you might do a storage remotion or whatever it might be. So, yeah. yeah, lots of good ways to do it today. And I, I think it's still one of those technologies that I think we just take for granted, even though yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's still like magic how it happens, really, when you think about it. It, it, it is pretty pretty mind blowing when I when I think about the first DR test that I was involved in. I I grew up on the application side of the world rather than the the infrastructure side of the world, and and uh, that was back in the day we had to we had to drive to Chicago uh, from Indianapolis, which is about a three hour drive, and everything was tape backup at that time. Uh, and, and we arrive at Chicago and Joe looks at Bill and says, you brought the tapes, right? Huh. <laughs> uh, and Bill had not brought the tapes. Um, so it's just, it, it's mind blowing to, to uh, those of us who've been in this space for a long time to, to see that technology. So what, what I hear you saying, though, is that uh, in certain use cases, you can recover in seconds or minutes. Yeah. Uh, there's going to be other use cases, like maybe it's a full data center recovery, or uh, in the case of what we've been talking about, uh, a ransomware attack where you have to protect uh, and uh, uh, keep the environment whole for investigation and, uh, and and things like that. So I think there's lots of flavors of that that our listeners need to be aware of as they're hearing some of those things. So Anthony, we are, we're, we're running near time. And I want to ask you, uh, is there something that I haven't asked you yet today that, that uh, is something that you really want our listeners to hear and understand about Veeam data protection and where it plays in ransomware? Yeah, I think, I think obviously immutability, like we've talked about, is a very important one. And our providers are leveraging our immutability technology as well. So individual will be able to, to switch on those those features and their customers and their tenants get the, the benefit of that. That's one thing. I think one thing that I'm trying to focus on moving forward, and actually as a company, but it's a personal sort of journey for me or personal sort of aim of mine is to really you know, get the world to understand that DR as a service is here. And it's actually, we hit an inflection point where it's, 
it should be considered over backup as a service. And what do I mean by that is that technologies like CDP, like Cloud Connect technology, Veeam working with great providers like Intervision, is that now we've got some really great ways to replicate tier one critical workloads from any on-premises location to a cloud that's a cloud that say Intervision is running and be able to have the peace of mind to know that that data, that workload can be spun up almost instantaneously if disaster happens. I really want people to start to think that um, because I think we haven't quite reached the inflection point with DR as a service where Mm -hmm. businesses don't think that they need it um, or actually know that they need it. Backup has been done. But I think most businesses will wait until something bad happens before they th- understand that they need DR yeah. as a service. Yeah. yeah, there's nothing like that compelling event to uh, to change people's perspective. Yeah. Well, as, as you know, when we, when we spoke earlier that here on Status Go, we love to leave our listeners with a very explicit call to action. So what are one or two things our listeners should go do tomorrow because they listened to our conversation today? Yeah. So I would say if you're if you're an existing Veeam customer, go and check out a little bit more about what the platform can do, the little bells and whistles that we've got. Um, take a look at what we've got coming in V12, which is the next major release for Veeam Backup Replication. That's due in a couple of months. But then also take a look at what your service provider can do. If you if you um, you know want to be able to protect your workloads on-premises and move them to the cloud, go have a look at Intervision and go have a look at the services that they are offering um, because they will only help you in your greatest time of need. Thank you so much for that. Uh, I, I appreciate that. And as we're talking more about ransomware protection as a service to our listeners. We're going to be talking about the different aspects uh, of that as we move forward in this series. Anthony, I really want to thank you for carving out the time to talk with us today. I know the the time differences between here and Australia can be a little difficult uh, at times, so I really appreciate you uh, taking some of your family time to talk with us uh, today. No worries. Good to be on, on the other side as well. <laughs> it's, I forgot what it was like. <laughs> <laughs> to our listeners, if you have a question or want to learn more, visit intervision.com. The show notes will provide links. I will include a link to Anthony's podcast as well as to uh, the one he mentioned, Dark Net Diaries. We'll include links for both of those in Good there shout out. as well as contact. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is Jeff Tun for Anthony Spiteri. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find Intervision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.